Henrik Stenson has always been a super interesting guy to me in golf. And now we hear that he's lost his trusty three wood. It just gives us an opportunity to talk a little bit more and get to know Henrik Stenson. Let's tee it up. Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Hey everyone, Aaron Stewart, Data Access Golf, the podcast. Thank you for being here today. So interesting story. There's a lot of reasons to talk about Henrik Stenson. Uh, Obviously, the news coming out that after, man, a decade, it seems like, the old Diablo, Calloway Diablo 3-wood has, the face is caved in apparently and he's had to replace it. So he is now playing uh, this week in Houston as the highest ranked player in that tournament, which I find fascinating uh, because it's the, la- it's the last year it will be played in this particular, on, on the, um, what is it? The Houston, uh, the Country Club of Houston, right? So it's the last time it will be played on this in this venue. Next year, they move, move it to a, a public course, honestly, in Houston that's been redone by, by Tom Doak, who is a, uh, an acquaintance, right? I got to, to play golf with him uh, a little bit uh, a while back at one of his courses. So um, it's, so it's going to be really interesting. All the, if you, if you get online, you can go read a, a little bit about the redo in the course. It sounds fantastic. They stretched it out to 7,300 feet. Um, and it sounds like Tom Doak has just done an amazing job of taking what was some pretty plain land and turning it into an absolute masterpiece that the players will love. Um, obviously the Houston open is traditionally been a tournament that was played right before the, the masters. So they tried to get it uh, to master's, um, what, to master's specs, I guess, try to speed up the greens, try to, to have closely mown areas around the greens, did all of that. But now they've moved it to this portion of the year, the beginning portion of the new year, which also means they're playing on different grasses, which I don't know if that meant why a lot of the players stayed away. Just because you're now moving from, I believe it was a rye grass typically in the summer to a Bermuda. Um, is that right? Or t- from a Bermuda to a rye? I don't know. Actually, I don't know. But I know the grasses are different. And it would probably be, see, no, it's, it's the Bermuda that comes through the summer, right? So yeah, they'd be on Bermuda still and the rye would come um, in the winter months. So they're on Bermuda and um, it's then overseeded. So maybe that's it. Maybe nobody wanted to play on Bermuda because, as we know, Bermuda can be a little tough to play with. Absolutely. So, um, but anyway, going back to Hendrik Stenson, he's a fascinating character and one that um, he's always entertaining. He's a very uh, enjoyable interview and one that um, I've always enjoyed following anyway. He's got an amazing sense of humor, but an amazing golfer. And he had quite, he's had quite the story where he was, Pretty successful early on in his career, and then and then lost everything through some financial challenges, and then um, and essentially got ripped off, and then worked his way back up by winning, and with that three wood got a lot of amazing work done. So 
He's in his early 40s now, 43, and um, some, some, some interesting things I read about uh, him at the end of last year. He said he was in Memphis and just sort of going through the motions, and he decided, you know what, I'm just done. And so he packed up and, and went back to Sweden and basically just missed the playoffs and just took it all off. So he comes in, I think he played his home tournament there in Sweden like three weeks later, and then played a tournament, played Wentworth, I think a few weeks ago, and then that's been about it. So he comes into Houston really fresh, he, um, but he comes in as the highest ranked player at number 37 in the world. Some of the funny things that uh, in, in some of the interviews I've seen that he was a little surprised to find out he was the highest ranked player at 37th, but he definitely did not feel like um, he was the favorite, um, that his game is just not where he would like it to be. And obviously not having the trusty three would probably adds to that a little bit, um, but but Henrik Stenson, I mean, I just wanted to cover some of his some of his accomplishments over the course of his life because they're really, I mean, sometimes they're easy to forget, and I don't necessarily know why, but obviously he's won a, he, he's a major champion. He won the 2016 uh, Open Championship at Royal Troom um, with that amazing duel with Phil Mickelson, right, where it just didn't seem, I don't know, there's probably, it was, that was a hard one for me because you're kind of pulling for both, but you want... Henrik, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm sort of a, a homer a little bit with uh, American players versus international players. And I think that goes back to the whole Ryder Cup thing is that there's just some, you know, there's just a bitter taste in my mouth over that. But, but I had a hard time not rooting for Henrik just because I like him so much. And so that was kind of a fun win to see him kind of take that one home. And if you're a European golfer, right, that's the one to win. That's the one you, that you grow up dreaming that you'll win when you're doing all those putting contests, you know, when it's, and the sun's down and it's dark outside and, and you've got a flashlight on the green. Those are the, that's the tournament that you're trying to win for all European players. And so that was a, a very, very cool thing. But I think some people forget, too, that also in 2016, he went down and won the silver medal down at the Olympics, the Summer Olympics down in Rio de Janeiro, which is an amazing accomplishment to have an Olympic medal in golf. So he got the silver. Obviously, Rose got the gold. He got the silver. Kuchar got the bronze. But had Stenson won, he would become one of only a, a handful of players, like uh, five or six players that had won a tournament on all six continents. So he has to win in South America, and he will have won a tournament on all six um, continents. And um, I mean, and that's kind of a, a list that's pretty amazing. It's a uh, let me see here: Gary Player, it's David Graham, Hale Irwin. Bernard Langer, and then um, I think Justin Rose actually joined the list by winning the gold in the Olympics. So that's a pretty amazing list. And Henrik Stenson's got to win. And if he wants to join that list, he'll need to win there in South America. Um, and then the other thing that I think a lot of people forget about is that in that he won the FedEx Cup. And he's been European Tour Golfer of the Year in 2013 and 2016. And, um, but he won in 2013. He won the FedEx Cup. Right, and, and took home the whole deal and won the tournament. And then he went over to the race to Dubai. He won that whole thing and won the championship tournament. And so he likes to call that his double-double, which I think is completely appropriate. I don't know if he eats it in and out, but right. So he won both the, the year-long events just on the points, but he won both of those tournaments at the end, which is quite an amazing accomplishment. First one to ever ever to do it. Uh, but pretty, uh, pretty amazing stuff. So 
But anyway, so we'll see how Hendrick does this week at the Houston Open, see how he plays. I'm excited to have him back, and I'm kind of excited to see how he hits that three-wood and see how he plays with it. But the the three-wood controversy, well, I mean, Hendrick stands on obviously replacing his three-wood. Technology's come a long way. And so I'm sure that he went through the testing and, and they wanted to make sure that his three wood conformed to the uh, rules of golf. But that brings up a, a really interesting scenario right now in the world of golf. So the PGA Tour decided to come out and start testing drivers on the PGA Tour to make sure that they were not too hot, you know, and, and breaking the rules. And so every tournament now they're pulling, I guess, randomly 30 drivers and testing them. And they, this, uh, this test that they use is basically measures the spring effect of, uh, of a driver. So, and I, I guess how they do it is they measure in microseconds, they take a, a driver and they strap it into a machine and they simulate uh, it hitting a ball. And then they measure the amount of time that ball stays on the face. And if it leaves the face too quickly, then that is non-conforming. And that means that the, the driver is breaking the rules. And um, some of the engineers and some of the reports I've read have said that, you know, even those drivers that are non-conforming, you're really not picking up a whole lot over anybody else. But it, it got me thinking, I mean, if you were out playing with your buddies and having a, you know, your foursome out there, your weekly foursome and playing with your buddies, and your buddy gets a new driver and he starts out driving you by 25 yards and he has never outdriven you before, um, would you ever think that he maybe had a non-conforming driver or would you be upset if you found out he had a non-conforming driver and, and knew about it? Would that upset you? Or would you go out and try to find a non-conforming driver too and take it back to him or, or, or buy the same driver and switch it out in his bag, you know, one that is conforming. I don't know, but would that upset you? I'm just kind of interested to see if that would upset anybody out there. If somebody you were playing with, you found out they were playing with a non-conforming driver. By all intents and purposes, they say that you just don't pick up that much. Even the, even the tour pros at their high speeds don't pick up a lot of distance when it's non-conforming. And there's sort of a sort of a built-in, and I think that we don't think about this enough. There's sort of a built-in um, monitor of of these faces because it's when the face gets thinner, apparently it increases its um, spring effect. And as a player uses a club, the face gets thinner, right? There's some friction every time it hits the ball, and so the face gets thinner and thinner. Well, eventually, as we see in like uh, Henrik Stenson's club, the face caves in. Well, since Hendrick Stenson's three-wood, technology has gotten a lot better, and these faces have gotten thinner and thinner. Now, you probably hear more now than ever before on faces caving in. So, is it gotten to the point where if the, if the driver is non-conforming, chances are the face is just going to cave in in the next couple of days or weeks? I don't know the answer to that, but I'd like to know, you know, they're measuring spring effect. I would like to know how thin are those faces getting? And, and does a non-conforming driver cave in more quickly than a conforming driver? Because I would, I would think it would. So maybe there's some built-in protection there. You, if your driver goes non-conforming, maybe your face is just going to cave in and you're going to need a new one anyway. Um, so that's something I thought has been pretty interesting. And I'd like to, do you ever, do any of you out there ever get your driver measured to be non-conforming? I'm guessing most of us never have, never will, don't care. 
Um, but I'd like to hear your opinions on that for sure. Um, do you care if somebody plays with a non-conforming driver? And then finally, I have um, just reading again what's going on with uh, the tour and the players and things. I found it interesting that after they test these clubs and find out that um, the spring effect is too high and it's non-conforming, they just basically tell the players, look, don't play with this driver. Send it back to the manufacturer, have them get you one that works. And that obviously comes with a whole set of, of problems because now you're asking you know, a certain number of players to go to a backup driver they may or may not have ever played with. Um, based on what I'm hearing, most of them just have a second head. They don't necessarily have, you know, they just want to put it on the existing setup and send the, the head back to see if it's conforming or not. And they strap in their new um, shaft and they go. And, and I guess with tolerances being as tight as they are, that's, that makes sense that it would work. But, you know, you see somebody like a Hendrick Stenson who sticks with the same three wood for a decade and you start to wonder, is it really that easy? Is it really that easy just to replace a club like that? And I think based on what we see that maybe it isn't. You see players like a, a Justin Rose switch right from TaylorMade to Home Ma, and he didn't seem to have a whole lot of trouble doing that, right? He wins, he wins the Farmers his second week out or something. So there's some players that can quickly make that adjustment. Um, I don't know. I'd like to know your thoughts on that. When you have to change out a club, is it a big deal? Do you have a hard time going from one driver to the next? Or when you find a better driver... It's just okay and you're ready to go. I'm, <clears throat> I'm sort of, I, I've never really found a club. I had a little three wood once that I could hit like crazy and eventually I broke it. It was a wood, actual wood. It actually um, blew up. The face just completely cracked and it was over. But I do remember that loving that club. I mean, it was a wood head with a steel shaft for heaven's sakes. But I remember I just, it seemed very difficult to miss that club. And so that's the only one I can really think of. I had a putter once that was like that, and I threw it and bent it. And it never worked the same after that. So um, I was younger. I think I was 16 in high school. But I, I really, since the, um, see, the last five years or so, when we've been able to get fit, when we're able to see what our numbers are, it doesn't seem very difficult to change equipment. But obviously, people like Hendrick Stenson find something they like, and they stick with it. So when you have a non-conforming driver, how big of a problem do you think that is for a player? It probably depends, but and I, I wonder now if that's going to change things going forward. Are players now, you know, knowing that they're being tested, do they start hitting the number two driver a little bit more on the range? So in case their driver's non-conforming, they have some level of comfort with their backup driver. So we'll probably see some of that occurring. And then the last question I, I wanted to throw out there to you all and get your opinion on is whose fault is this? I mean, is it uh, the rules of golf? Is it silly? I mean, do, do we have any evidence to, that, that um, the spring effect makes that big of a difference? Like the engines are say, engineers are saying it doesn't. And even with these amazing swing speeds, and with these amazing swing speeds, if the thing gets too face, it just seems like it's going to cave in. And so it's almost self-policing, right? If, if we get hold of one of those non-conforming drivers, we're not swinging it at 120, 30 miles an hour. We're, we're swinging it at, uh, you know, 95. Chances of us caving that face in probably not very great. And chances of us really benefiting from a non-conforming driver at that speed isn't very good either. So I'd just like to hear your opinion on that. Whose problem is it? Is it a problem at all? Should we just blow this off and ignore it? Should we measure our spring effect? Should our you know club championships measure spring effect? 
Um, I just that it's just something that's become very, very interesting now that the PGA Tour has decided to start testing for non-conforming drivers. So love to get your opinion on that. I'm looking forward to the Houston Open this weekend. All uh, my best wishes to Hendrik Stenson and to the entire crew um, and saying goodbye to the uh, the golf club or the, the country club of Houston. This is the last time we'll play the Houston Open there at this club. And then we'll be moving over to the Tom Doak remake of another Houston course that escapes my mind right now. But it looks gorgeous online. Definitely take uh, advantage of looking at that. Oh, oh, oh. One last thing to get online and search for the, the Coors Crenshaw, um, I think it's the sheep farm at Bandon Dunes. They have got some amazing photos of that course. Um, it is like right on the cliffs. They say that from the most of the course, you can see ocean. and But it's right on the cliffs, which is, I don't know, very cool. I, I Bandon Trails out at Bandon is my favorite course at all. And that's a course, Crenshaw course as well. And I love their work. So I can't imagine that this isn't spectacular. So um, definitely like to hear your opinion on that. After you take a look at some of the photos, or if some of you have played it, please let us know. So thanks for joining me. Good luck to Hendrik Stenson and good luck to all of you this weekend if you get out and play. Until next time, this is Aaron Stewart saying better data always means better golf. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Data Access Golf with Aaron Stewart. Check us out online at dataaccessgolf.com and we'll see you on the next episode.